The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the SAS district community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by Punchline Conversion Copy, a copywriting service that helps companies create jaw-droppingly effective copy optimized for conversion. They create research-based copy that will always convert better than quote-unquote creative, aka I pulled this out of my butt copy. The research-based copy is usually funny and will always convert better than boring copy. Liana and her team write research-based, funny copy specifically for e-commerce stores and SaaS businesses. If you're looking for some help to fix the bleeding hole in your marketing copy, visit punchlinecopy.com today. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic, or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, please check out our show notes where we include a link to that promo code specifically for the SaaS district community. Thank you all. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to fuel better content marketing strategies and improve idea generation. Today, we have our guest, Melanie Diesel, joining us. Melanie is the founder and chief content officer of StoryFuel. She's also the, fo- the author of the best-selling marketing and business communications book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. She's an international keynote speaker, skilled virtual presenter, and is recognized as one of the world's leading experts in native advertising and branded content. She serves on the board of the Native Advertising Institute, has judged countless industry awards, including the Content Marketing Institute Awards, Digiday Content Marketing Awards, and the Native Ad Awards, among many, many others. As a speaker, she's taught marketers around the globe to brainstorm better, think like journalists, and tell better branded stories. She is the member of the National Speakers Association, Association and has graced the stage of industry-leading events like Content Marketing World, Social Media Marketing World, Inbound, South by Southwest, and much more. So welcome, Melanie. Melanie, super excited to have you on our show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was, that was a, a lovely intro. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, I actually did read your book. I uh, just finished it last week. So I want to get right into the content of your book because I, I absolutely love it. And I think there's a lot of value for our, our listeners today. Um, you know, you, you segment the content creation idea process through two different elements, right? So you have the focus and then you have the yep. format, which you go into. Um, you mentioned that you should always start with the focus first and then determine which format best suits the story that you want to tell. Uh, yeah. Can you share why this is true? And what do you see go wrong if people you know, start looking the other way, starting with the format in their process? Because I hear, hey, I want to start a YouTube channel. I want to start a new podcast first, right? Yeah, well, I think exactly <laughs> as you said, we get really excited about a particular format. And we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a podcast. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to become an Instagram influencer, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think what we find is when you do that first, you often end up with content that doesn't suit that format very well. So maybe your, you know, your, your editing skills aren't up to par or you don't have enough of the kind of sets and technology you need. The stories aren't well suited to a podcast or well suited to a video. And so what ends up happening is you have these stories to tell, but you're not able to showcase them in the best way because you're sort of forcing them into a format that may not be the best fit. Now, I know a lot of people want to start on a particular channel. And if that's your goal, what you want to do is you still want to start with the stories that you want to tell. 
and keep going until you find one that is a natural fit for video, for example, if that's what you're working on. But what we don't want to do is say, okay, I'm doing video and this is what we're going to do without really thinking about whether it's well suited. It's much better to start with, okay, this is a great story or this is a great series we could do. Is it well suited to video? If so, then yes, let's move forward in that way. Or is it well suited to podcasts? Yes, let's move forward in that way. Um, But I think we really have to think about what we're going to say before we decide how to say it. It's a little bit like picking, you know, a recipe for dinner before you know what ingredients you have in the fridge, you know? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I want, I want pizza, but I have no dough, right? Or no cheese. So, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Um, you know, so speaking more about the, the actual content fuel framework, which you talk about and the creativity process behind it, can you share how other marketers can start maybe improving their content idea process through those two elements? And then what are the like, kind of options available that they can look at? Definitely. So the, the idea with the process is the two, the two factors that you discussed. So we have the, the focus, which again is what you're going to say. And then the format is how you bring it to life. So that first mindset shift is the one we just talked about is start thinking about what you're going to say. What is the story about? You know, how are you going to approach that story first? And then you decide your, your format. When it comes to figuring out the focus, I think what's really helpful and, and part of my goal with the creating the book is to give you a list of different perspectives and lenses through which you can tell those stories so that you branch out beyond your normal your normal routines. We don't want to get stuck. We don't want our stories to feel stale. So in the book, we list out 10 different examples and I'll share a few of them here. So people is one of the, the most common ones. Like we're creating people-focused content right now. You pick a guest, you talk to them, it's about a person in, in some way, right? Mm-hmm. So people-focused content is a really good place to start when you want to tell a story. But you can also create data-focused content. So you could tell, you know, for example, you could have created this podcast by saying, I'm going to share a bunch of statistics with you about how creativity works and how brainstorms work and about content marketing, right? So it might not be as exciting through audio, but, you know, if you just wanted to share the data around content marketing and idea generation, you totally could. Um, Another one that is really fun is curation. So curation-focused content is when we go around and collect like items. So for this episode, for example, imagine you found six different experts in content marketing who come at it from different perspectives and you talk to all of us, almost like a panel. So you could tell the same kind of story through all these different focuses. You could approach it in these different ways. Um, Once you figure out the right one, like we said, you try to figure out what's the best way to bring that story to life. And so that's where you want to ask, if we have our panel of experts, that might work pretty well as a video because we could go back and forth between the different experts. On audio, it it might be a little confusing because if the audience doesn't know who's talking, they've got to keep track of all these different people. So it's just when you start with that focus and you consider all those different options, it really makes it a lot easier for you to figure out how do you bring that to life in a compelling way. It makes sense. And then you know, somebody like myself, who's a, an engineer background, very analytical thinking, I, I don't have that creative mindset as much. Um, but is this kind of creative process something everybody can learn? Or is there a way that yeah. it shows you how, how to apply it? A hundred percent. We got to back up. You're not allowed to say that anymore, that you don't have a creative process, that you're not a creative person. So one of the things that 
that happens throughout life and it happens to all of us is we kind of get in our heads that we're good at these kinds of these kinds of mental processes and we're we're not good at these other kinds and what we know is that all the data shows that we all have the same innate creative abilities especially as children right we're you're you can turn a cardboard box into a spaceship or you know a horse or anything else we all have that ability and what happens is over time we just tend to focus on those things where we excel most naturally and so it sort of falls to the back but it's still there so even if you have that feeling like I'm not a creative or you know this isn't my strong suit all that means is you haven't trained and practiced as hard at that thing as you have at something else. Um, And so that's where it really comes down to having a process, practicing, you know, coming up with many more ideas than you need helps you pick the best one. And so same thing, like, you know, when you're doing your analysis, the first report you ever created was probably not the best report, right? Or the first insights you came up with in looking at a data set was probably not the best insight. Now you would see something much more advanced. So we want to look at creative, you know, creative idea generation in the same way as a skill you can practice and learn. So uh, yeah, I, I, when people say I'm not creative, it breaks my heart because you totally, totally are. And you know, the example I like to give everybody is think of the last time you were worried about something or stressed. How many ways did you imagine things could go wrong? you probably came up with 500 different creative scenarios about why it wouldn't work and how it could all come crashing down and all the obstacles and and things, right? So you're good at that. We do that naturally. It just comes down to, do you have the right prompt to get that ball rolling? So it's in there for sure. Even if you don't think it's your strong suit, we just got to figure out how to get the ball rolling for you. That's true. And it's always the worst case scenario that comes, right? It's always doomsday when things go wrong, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, you have that process, you, you create the ideas now, you decide on, you know, your focus. Um, but how do you create content that connects with your audience? Because I feel that's a big challenge for SaaS startups specifically. You know, we want to define the users and our audience and we want to create the content. For, you know, is that something that you guys can, uh, is there some exercises in terms of content to create to improve that marketing success and get you know, the results Absolutely. you want? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the most simple solution is actually the best one, which is you've got to talk to your audience. And I know that sounds so obvious and, and so minor, but it's the same thing we do when we're testing product, right? We roll out a beta and we see how real people react to it. We get their feedback and we adapt our course of actions. So we want to approach content in the same way. You can start with your gut or start with what you think you've heard from, from various people in your audience, create something and then get feedback. Was this helpful for you? What else could we have provided that would be more helpful, you know, talk to them. And, and there's different ways to do that. You can, you know, call them or, or have a Zoom Zoom call, whatever it is, and, and get that feedback directly. Um, you can look in the comments, the replies, you know, the DMs on social media to see what kind of response you're getting to it and if people have questions. But my favorite thing to do if you can't have access to them, is to just do a little bit of keyword research. Now, mm-hmm. my guess is your audience probably already has, you know, different tools and, and things that they're using for this kind of stuff. But if you don't, or if you're new to doing it from a content perspective, then it might be worth checking out Answer the Public. Are you familiar with this tool? I've, I've heard of it, yeah. 
So yeah, answerthepublic.com. It's a free tool. You know, you can of course buy more advanced pieces, but um, at the most basic level, you can type in your product, your product category, you know, some, some high level audience keywords. And what it will do is tell you and create a nice visual for you of the questions that people ask around that topic. So, you know, all of them might not be a good fit, but if you plug in the specific type of tool that you have, the specific problems you solve, the solutions you offer, you can see people want to know, does it integrate with X, Y, and Z technology? Uh, can I use this if in certain conditions? They might be asking, you know, what's the price point of these types of, of features or these types of products? So it'll give you a lead on here's what people in my audience actually want to know. And I think that's really the best way to get quality engagement is create content your audience actually wants and needs. That's, that's really the mm. easiest place to start. And so if you have the ability to talk to them, do that. If you don't, look for tools like Answer the Public that can tell you what they might be thinking. Awesome. We'll put a link to that that in the show notes. So if, if you, let's say for this example, right, you, you talked about people, uh, which is kind of the, the focus of what we're talking about here. Um, in yeah. the format, we go, uh, we say we decide to go with the, with the podcast and video like we are on YouTube. Um, is it, a, and then we're looking at engagement, we're publishing, and we're hearing what our audience is saying after that. Do you look at it like a step-by-step process, like a trial and error? And then how, how long do you suggest to you know, uh, test it out before you're saying, hey, this is effective or not, and maybe it's the wrong format. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a couple different ways you can do it. And I think a big part of this sort of, it depends, which I know is the worst answer, but <laughs> it really depends on what your goals are in creating that content. And it's really important that you kind of have of that figured out up front. Is this something that we're doing for engagement? Is it something we're doing for awareness? Is it something we're doing in hopes of creating conversion? Uh, once you're kind of clear on which of those three buckets it may fall into, you know, engagement, awareness, or conversion, that allows you to set the KPIs that you want to look for. So, you know, if you're going for awareness, then you probably want to be looking at and measuring increases in impressions or views, you know, whatever's going to give you a sense that people were aware of it, shares, you know, things that, that drive toward awareness. If you're going for engagement, you want to look at what's happening on the content itself. So that might be downloads, it might be completion rate, uh, it might be, you know, your percentages of how much of the video was viewed or time on page. You know, there's a lot of ways to measure what's happening with the content itself. And then if you're looking at conversion, if that's really your goal, then you want to focus on those metrics that give you some sense that they took an action beyond the content. So did they schedule a call or download a white paper or click through to the product page, those things that really show the action beyond. And so um, what you want to do is kind of track those things over time based on, you know, your primary and maybe a secondary goal and, and see how those things are changing. Um, I think the, the biggest thing when you asked how long do we do we do it? I mean, this is going to vary for everyone and it depends truthfully on how frequently you publish it. Mm. So if you put out a video every day, you'll probably have a significant amount of data after two to three weeks to know what kind of things are working better than others. If you put out a video once a week, I mean, you're going to need to do that for three to four months to have, you know, even a close to the same amount of data. So, um, What's really important is just to remember that most content strategy is more of a marathon than a sprint. Uh, mm. It's incredibly unlikely that you'll publish four videos or, or 10 blog posts and suddenly have a million dollars in new business. <laughs> uh, it just generally doesn't work like that. So you want to set those long-term goals. And if anyone's not familiar with this or, or new to creating a content campaign in this way, 
Look up SMART goals. So this is really common. It's not something that I invented. Many people use this methodology. But the idea is to make sure before you start your content, you're creating a goal that is time-bound. So mm-hmm. whether that is for you three months or three weeks, you have to stay up front. I'm going to do this for three weeks. Uh, At that point, I'm going to measure whether we had an increase of 10% or more on this particular, uh, you know, really, really get detailed with what the goal should be and when you're going to analyze that. And then you can do that at that point and see if you're getting the changes you want. But yeah, I always remind people it's a, it's a long game, right? Creating content is a long long game. You learn and you get better as you go. And so don't beat yourself up if you're not getting those results up front. You need to have the bad podcast to get to the good podcast. You need to have the videos that maybe aren't so great to learn how to make the better videos that come in the future. So give yourself a little bit of grace and get out there and start experimenting. You know, fail fast, right? That's what what we're all dealing with. Get out there and try things. A, B tests. Exactly. Yeah. For those people listening, don't don't go back and listen to episode one, two, or three. Those those are not supposed to be meant to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true of all of us. You know, I mean, I think even if you look at the creators that you follow most or the the brands that you love the most, the earliest product, the earliest episodes, the earliest you know content they created is is never the best stuff. Uh, I forget who said it, but you know, if if you don't launch, if you're not embarrassed of your first launch, you launch too late, right? We've got to get out there and just try things. So just do it knowing that the first few might not be great, but you've got to get that past that to get to the really good stuff. That's true. That's true. So in your book, you provide a list of those, you know, the 10 focuses, and then you have the 10 formats with your grid that you can mix and match. And all together, you get over 100, you know, plus ideas of content. And then you also have the, yeah. the content multipliers, which can, you know, add exponentially to that. Um, with so many options to pick from. And, you know, so let's, companies have limited resources with, you know, startup companies. How do you suggest prioritizing, you know, with a limited budget and where to focus your your efforts at the beginning and over time? This is a a really common question because if you follow the system in the book, yeah, like you said, you'll come up with 100 or 200 or 400 ideas and we don't, nobody's got time for that. So the key thing to remember is you aren't supposed to create all of these things. You know, remember earlier in our discussion, we were talking about how you have to flex those muscles to get stronger. The Mm -hmm. idea is if you come up with 15 or 20 or 100 ideas, then one of those is probably going to be the best one or the one that you want to choose. But just like with our podcast episodes or our videos, you got to come up with the bad ideas to get to the good one, right? So you choose the best from among them. And, you know, similarly to setting goals, you do that based on other criteria. So if you've got 15 ideas from your 100 that you really like, the question becomes, well, which of these do we have the budget to create? Maybe I love the idea of the interactive map, but that's just not going to happen by Friday. So we'll put that aside for now. And we'll save that in our maybe later file, you know? Um, I'd love to create an interactive timeline of the history of the company, but it's going to take me a long time to gather that data. So we'll put that in the later file for now. You kind of go through and based on your time, your budget, and then maybe your technology or skills, you know, for me, uh, creating a podcast would be a challenge because I'm not really great at editing audio. That's not a skill I've worked on, you know, to date. So I'd probably put that in a save for later file. Um, and the idea is by, by considering all those other variables, those realities of 
time, budget, you know, et cetera, it helps you narrow down to the correct one, the one that's going to be best suited for your timeline, your budget, and your skill set. Um, but what's really important is those ideas that you like, save them, right? It's not a no, it's just a not right now. Because if you start planning ahead for the next quarter or the next year, you know, having those ideas in the bank, when you have some time, when you get a new person on your team, when somebody joins the company that does have that video editing skill, you know, you can start that project again. So, you know, the idea here again is just let's come up with as many good ideas as possible narrow down to our best list based on our current limitations or our current goals, and then save the other ones for when we maybe have different limitations or different goals. Mm. So, you know, that's more maybe like a budget restriction. But one thing we hear a lot from early stage, maybe founders is, you know, I just don't have the time. Maybe they're doing this as a, as a side project, yeah. uh, but they still want to grow, right? They're, this is going to be bootstrapping. What do you recommend to those SaaS businesses, right? They're limited on time, but they still want to leverage content marketing because they understand how important it is. For sure. So if you have the ability to bring someone in from the outside to help you with this stuff, to outsource it, it's a really good way to go. The one thing to consider especially is that there are a lot of journalists or former journalists or journalism students who have absolutely all the skills, all the technology, all the tools to create this stuff for you. And they generally like to be able to work on a, on a new and exciting project. So look to your local journalism school, You know, look to, to LinkedIn or some of these other tools to find people in with this expertise who may be able to help you with this project. If you are limited on budget and you can't bring someone in, then what I recommend is starting with curation. So again, mm -hmm. curated content is when you're collecting resources from different places that have shared characteristics and presenting them in one place. So an example might be, uh, you know, the the best monitors for, for your home office under $1,000 or the best monitors for your home office under $500. Uh, six things you need for your home office to efficiently convert leads. I don't know. So, you know, come up with I, things that you can collect, whether that's product recommendations, events, podcasts you should listen to, books you should read, questions to ask before you do X, Y, and Z. Um, what's really helpful about this kind of content is you can draw it from your own life. So, you know, as you're going throughout your day, what are the tools you use? What are the programs you use? What are the, the must-haves, the questions you ask? Um, and and you, it's often much easier to collect those items, to copy paste, to create a list of, of like things than it is to sit down and, you know, record a whole video and edit it and, you know, get the metadata and upload it. I mean, that's a process. So curated content in written form is mm. often some of the easiest stuff to put together when you have a short timeline. And my recommendation to people is, again, do the exercise, come up with 10 or so different curated lists you could create and do it over time. When you find a new podcast, add that to your list. When you find a new tool that's really helpful, add that to your list. You know, build them step-by-step step over time so that it doesn't feel like this big, heavy process you've got to spend hours doing. Makes, makes perfect sense. Yeah, I love it. Um, so one of the focus elements that you talk about is opinion. I, I like this one because it's you're creating content based on your belief or judgment about a topic rather than like objective facts. So somebody like myself, I like yeah. these facts. Um, I, I kind of <laughs> struggle with this type of content because uh, sure. when do you best use this and how much are your content should be opinions? Because as a business owner, you want to incorporate this, but I don't know how much you should incorporate this in your message without a detracting your followers. And, you know, how much should you mix this with, you know, with the total content efforts you're trying to put out? 
Yeah, this is a good question. I know a lot of people are afraid of opinion content because we think of like debates, like, you know, picking, mm-hmm. I don't know, endorsing someone for president or, you know, taking a stand on a, on a new proposed law. That's not the kind of stuff that we're recommending or that I would even have you talk about. Um, mm-hmm. But where, where you might be able to find subtle ways to, to use opinion content is when you can showcase your expertise. Now, remember, you are in the position you're in, whatever role you have in your business, because you have a special skill set. Other people don't have that skill set and they value your opinion on things. So remember, we talked about the, I don't know, five tools you can use to generate more leads. Well, there's a difference between the five tools that output the most data and my favorite tools for Mm -hmm. finding leads, right? There's a subtle difference there that says a a human with expertise has chosen what's appearing here. So in little ways, whether that's doing a review of a product that you really like or, you know, five ways that I use this in my everyday life, you know, six things that I love about our our new product, my 10 favorite features of the new operating system, you know, just adding in that subtle element of, a choice was made here. Uh, it doesn't have to be, again, drawing a line in the sand and splitting your followers between two different you know, competing beliefs. It could just be as simple as adding favorite or mine or you know, our teams. Uh, you know, this, this happens often if you think of, I know it seems like forever ago, but the last time you were in a bookstore, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they have the bestsellers table, which is objective. These are the ones that have sold the most copies. And then they often have employee favorites. And mm-hmm. they're probably a little bit different. They, they may not be the bestselling books, but there's still value in saying, wow, people who see books every day, who read a ton of books, think that these are the best. It's probably worth my attention to check out that display. So we can kind of apply the same thing to our content. You know, we can give an objective list of the best selling or the top or the most revenue, or we could say, here's the ones that our team, that myself, that we believe are most relevant, most important, must have, etc. Yeah, I feel like maybe Twitter must have uh, made it made that a little more challenging for everybody, right? With everything that goes on and all the noise, uh, too many opinions. Yeah, and uh, yeah, definitely gets gets out of hand. But so, but how, how much <laughs> are, you, are you supposed to kind of mix that in, right? Because I mean, at the end of the day, who cares what I think? Versus, you know, here's you know things that people want to learn. Are you doing that, you know, at the beginning when you're just starting off, and do people really want to hear your opinion, or does it matter? I think. I think in our businesses, we underestimate how valuable our opinion is. So, you know, we have so much knowledge that's internal to our experience and our team. And we forget that part of our our sales process is educating our consumers, educating our potential clients, right? They don't know which product is best for them. They don't know which is going to solve their problem best. They don't know, you know, how to integrate properly. This is stuff that we do every day. So we don't think much of it. Um, But you know, the, the simplest example, think of the guy at your local pizza shop, right? He's throwing that dough up in the air. He does it a bazillion times a day, does not think it's a special skill. It's no big deal. But for us, from the other side of the counter, it's mesmerizing. They're like, I can't do that. How do you even do that? I want to try, right? So our skills, they might not seem exceptional to us. Our experience might not be exceptional to us, but it really is valuable for our consumers. You know, when you, uh, when you go to get your car fixed, you're not looking for the best mechanic in the world. You don't need the best mechanic in the world for your car. You need someone who knows more about cars than you. And that's pretty much it, right? Somebody who's going to make a recommendation and help you mm-hmm. figure out what needs to get fixed. So don't give yourself that imposter syndrome. Like, who am I? What does my apparent, uh, you know, opinion matter? 
you have just a little bit more experience than your customer or your potential customer. And in that way, you can still offer value, still help them get on the right path, help them further their learning to become a more informed consumer. So there's, there's always something you can share. Um, Back to your question about the, the percentage, I think, again, that's going to be different for everyone. Um, mm. If you are running a business that is really dependent on you, your personality, if you are the face of your company uh, or the only person in your company, then you probably play a bigger role in that. You probably want more opinion content because your company's position, your product is in large part based on your own reputation and your own expertise. So it's more valuable for you to do that. If you are inside of a large company and you're an individual salesperson, well then maybe since you're one of a hundred sales folks, you know, your personal opinion may not belong on the company blog. That doesn't mean you can't share some of that with your accounts, with your clients, with your customers. So, you know, there's, there's little ways. And I think, again, a big part of it has to do with what role does your expertise personally play in that process for your audience. If they don't know who you are, maybe not. But if it is part of the experience, if you are the one conveying recommendations, which we often are in a sales process, then your opinions and your recommendations are definitely valuable. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Thanks. That's, that's helpful. Um, you know, and the, we talked about how content marketing is, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, as a business, you still want to see some ROI from, from your efforts. But, you know, defining that and calculating it can be a little tricky as you, you, you don't see the results instantly, like, you know, paid, paid marketing, right? How do you yeah. personally define success or failure when, when evalu evaluating your results? I mean, so personally for me, yeah, I mean, my my goals are, are different than a lot of people. So I always, I'm transparent with people. I say, please do as I say, not as I do. Because mm. like anyone else, I have my own limitations. I am a small teen. I have a one-year-old child. So my own content strategy may not be delivering on all the things that I wish it would, right? I have, I have limitations too, like we all do. Um, but one of the things that's really important to me is engagement. Um, I don't focus so much on conversion content on, you know, posting 10 reasons to buy my book or like, you know, five reasons to hire me for a workshop. That kind of stuff doesn't feel authentic to me. So I really focus on education. I want content that is going to help people. And based on that, I can measure the engagement as a sign of success that people are reading, they're sharing, they're engaging. And as doing that, I know that they're learning. And so that's really my goal. I'm very education oriented. So I focus on those engagement statistics mostly, uh, those engagement metrics mostly because that's what I see as success. Um, that being said, that's not the case for everyone. Some people are trying to grow a following because they're, uh, you know, they're small a small company trying to grow their audience. So they're probably focused on, on awareness and that's totally fine. Who cares if people are necessarily commenting and liking, if it's reaching more people and that's your goal, then, then you're succeeding. So yeah, I think it comes back to that conversation before about being really clear about why you create content. And I think if you know that purpose, it becomes much easier to stay in it for the long haul. Um, mm. Because if you are expecting to get a million followers the next day, you're going to have a hard time sticking with it when it doesn't happen. Yeah, makes sense. Well, thanks. Thank you for sharing your opinion. So I'm sure it, it matters. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, now you've, you've created content, uh, you've decided your focus and your effort. Now, obviously, the next part, I think the other battle is actually promoting it because you can create amazing content. But if nobody hears about it, it you know, you won't get the right, you know, uh, yeah. results you want. How do you choose or how do you suggest choosing the right platform for your target audience to get better results? 
So I think we all have some level of instinct about where our audience gathers. Um, for me, I, I talk to a lot of marketers and creators, which tend to hang out on uh, on Instagram and on Twitter. So that's where I spend a lot of my time. Um, I think for most of the folks who are in your audience or in the SaaS space, I think we tend to find those customers on LinkedIn, right? That's probably, uh, does that sound right? That's my, what my gut says. Yeah, LinkedIn, um, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah, there you go. So LinkedIn and Twitter is probably where you want to be spending your time, especially if your goal is to reach more of the right people. Um, one of the things that can be very helpful, you know, and like before, I recommend testing it out. Try sharing on different networks, see where you're getting the most engagement and then adapt from there. Um, but one of the things that's really helpful for that is, remember we talked about coming up with the right format and the right focus to match. Always consider, are there other formats we could also create in? So we're a good example of that right now. We could have just had a phone call or done no video and you could put out just a podcast. But instead, we've got video here. So that gives you two different options to, to send it out. Had you only had audio, you wouldn't be able to distribute on YouTube. And if you had that audio and you posted it on LinkedIn, well, you wouldn't necessarily have as big of a, a visual that might help it get seen more in the feed and get engaged with more. So the fact that you have a video, that you can grab a still from this video to use on other platforms, gives you more options for distribution. So when you're going through that process of saying, I'm going to create this type of content, you want to always ask, is there another type that complements it well that I could create that will expand my opportunities for distributing it in different ways? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And that's exactly what we do, right? We create these, take these videos, uh, chop them up into little pieces and put them throughout social media and to our, our list as well. Um, so you said you focus on Instagram and Twitter. Um, is there a reason why, you know, you wouldn't do everything? Um, you know, why not Facebook and LinkedIn and, you know, just try it out or YouTube? Or do you yeah. think is it better just to focus on the one or two first and, and keep to that? So what I always recommend for people is to do as much as you can do well consistently. For me as an individual, again, with a baby, like <laughs> I wish I could be everywhere. I've tried to be everywhere, but I burn myself out and I would rather be present and active in a few places than mediocre in lots of places. Um, especially again, my goal is engagement. So I don't want comments and messages going unread because I can only spend five minutes in each platform, right? So I do have a Facebook page. I do post on LinkedIn. You know, I'm active in these other places as well, but I dedicate most of my time to the places where I can be most engaged most easily. So Twitter, without a doubt, is my number one. I spend most of my time there because the amount of time it takes for me to create an insightful tweet of, you know, 200 something characters, that's pretty quick. I can do that while she's taking a nap, while she's, you know, having a snack. So it's really easy for me to create good content consistently in that location. As I scale up, as I get more time, as I get more teammates, then I would expand that for sure. Um, and like I said, always experiment. So if you were to look at my YouTube, um, which again, don't recommend, it's the early videos where I had to do the bad ones to get to the good ones, right? Um, about two years ago, I did run an experiment on YouTube. I created this series called Free Content Idea Friday, and I would pick a theme, a type of business, like, you know, a tourism board or a sports franchise and, you know, a school. And I would just riff for like 20 minutes about a ton of ideas for content they could create that would be really fun and useful for their audience. Um, I loved it. It was a lot of fun, but it took so much time for me to make something good. And I wasn't getting a lot of return after a month or so that I did it. Now, I should probably should have run that experiment longer to really get mm. quality data. Um, but like I said, I admit that I'm working with a limited 
time set here. I don't have a ton of time to be creating that video. So I figured rather than spending five hours a week on the video, if I've reallocated those five hours to Twitter, or I already have a following and I already have engagement, I would probably see better ROI. So try things for sure. Um, Mm. But I do think it's better to focus your efforts in the places where you see that ROI or you get that engagement, you get that awareness, because that's going to be the, you know, 20% of the work that gets 80% of the results. Makes sense. And looking back now, would you have run that experiment a little bit longer for the YouTube? And do you think you would, you know, if you had, provided you had a little bit more time, would you continue to have done that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I I might even go back to it at some point because um, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I think it's valuable. You know, it still gets engaged with years later. It's evergreen. So um, I think there's definitely value there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think think it's important for me to be honest about this kind of stuff because it's really easy to look at somebody like, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk or like Tony Robbins or something or, you know, Oprah and just think, well, why can't I create 15 pieces of content for every platform ever? Every day. And it's like, because you're a human, you're one human, not a human with 40 people running your social platforms, right? So uh, I think it's important to be transparent that we have limitations on our time, you know, on our budgets, and, and we've got to work with what we've got. It makes perfect sense. Awesome. So now t- tying it all back together, right? So in the SaaS industry, the funnel looks something like this. You know, you have awareness, you know, you know maybe lead generation, then they go to trial or sign up and they convert and then obviously you want to retain the customer. Uh, can we go through the system? I want to use an example here for maybe a SaaS yeah. company. How, how do you brainstorm, you know, how to, how to brainstorm the stories to tell, what type of content ideas to decide from, where to promote it, and then how to measure it at every stage? So, Sure. So, so give me those stages one by one, and we'll uh, we'll come up with some ideas here. Okay. So, on the awareness, how to so let's say uh, how to brainstorm uh, the stories to tell for awareness. Okay. Awareness, so, one yeah. of the things that's yeah. So, one of the things that's going to be important is to figure out what are the things that you want people to be aware of, aware of in a more specific sense. So, are there certain features that we want them to be aware of? Are there certain benefits we want them to be aware of? Are there certain uh, statistics, you know, that we've helped this many companies, etc. So once you're clear on that, what are we making them aware of? Then you want to ask, okay, how should I bring that to life? So if let's say that there's a new feature, um, I don't know, spitball, what's a, what's a new feature that we're launching that uh, we need to make our audience aware of? Maybe integration with a certain, a certain other product. Sure. There we go. So yeah. we got Zapier integration that is now launching. We need to make people aware of that. So why don't we talk about um, you know, a few things you can do, um, with this new integration, you know, coach them through why this integration is great. So we're going to talk about the benefits, the benefits of a Zapier integration. Now you can do X, Y, Z, you can automate this, you can, et cetera. Right. And all that we could do through the lens of data to say, if you were to use all these integrations, you would save this much time, right? Now that you don't have to make this report, you can automate it. That saves you an hour a week. Now that you can do this instead of this, that saves you 15 minutes a day. So you could use data to quantify how much time are you going to save with this integration because that's going to be hopefully compelling. That may work across several uh, stages of, of the funnel, actually. Nice. And then you go into lead generation. Yeah. So lead generation, I mean, I think what's what's a little challenging with, with the lead gen content is this is really conversion 
focused and it depends on how you want to capture those leads. So uh, are you trying to get them to download the, the white paper, to download the, the guide for setting up the integration? Are you trying to get them to schedule a call? Um, you know, it would depend really on what type of conversion you want to make. Um, okay. But my recommendation truthfully with a lot of that lead gen content is to have that call to action built into your awareness content. So mm. at the end of our thing that says, if you want to save, you know, 6.7 hours a week, uh, schedule a call with one of our reps and we'll coach you through the integration, you know? So make that, that lead gen call to action part of your awareness content because nobody's going to click on a, on a blog post that says like schedule, like the title is schedule a call to, to set up your integration, right? We've got to kind of, we got to kind of feed them the sweet stuff before we sneak in the vegetables. Nice. Nice. And then from there, they're ready to sign up or maybe give a, a trial, sign up yep. for a trial. Yeah. And I think here again, we can talk about those benefits, the benefits and features again. And, and again, this will differ depending on what the, what the thing is that you're trying to convert them on, what the features are, the benefits, the product, the offering. Um, mm. But I think here again, this is going to be probably more verbal. So I don't know whether, it, it, because we're talking about a really, my guess is a high ticket situation here. This is probably going to be done more through a call than through a blog post. I don't imagine people will just see a blog post and then start like, you know, such a, a massive subscription that most of us are offering on a monthly basis. Um, right. So this is probably going to be more in the range of a script or, or talking points that you're giving to your sales rep to call to go through. So I would probably do like curation in written form so that you've got your common objections that they may hear and how to answer them or myths or, you know, misconceptions that they can, they can correct, uh, you know, common, uh, you know, features and benefits again, that they can hit on in that phone call. So that would probably be more an internal piece of content, I would say, but creating something as a, as a simple bulleted list of some kind to help coach your, your staff who's going to be, you know, having these conversations to really get them to, to sign up, to extend their trial, et cetera. Makes sense. So that you probably have that during your, your sales demo and then, you know, final piece of that. So you want to get them to convert after you have the demo, anything you can do there to help them close, close the deal. I mean, I think this, because this is a process that's, that's kind of condensed, right? I think, you yeah. know, that that's happening usually on the phone call. We, you know mm -hmm. how, how it goes with, with sales. You never want to say, go ahead and think about it and call me back in two days, right? We're trying to get <laughs> right. them through that on the same call. Yeah. Um, so again, I think this is probably built into, um, that script, those talking points that we would create as an internal document, a conversation guide would really help get them from one step to the other. We're sort of coaching them from, uh, you know, the one, the one phase to the next right there on that call. So I think we'd probably want to make sure you're hitting on all those points, uh, not just their objections or their myths or concerns, but also, you know, the things that we need to gather from them as part of that conversion process. Makes, makes sense. Yeah. So you've uh, recently launched your, your book, The Content Fuel Framework. I think you launched it in February of this year. Uh, yep. now, other than your own book, do you have any other favorite resources or mentors maybe that you follow and have been instrumental to, to your success and achievements today? Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple books I recommend, especially if you're you're going into this content space or you're kind of taking on marketing as a as a new challenge. So, um, if you're at all doing customer service, social media, you know, email support, check out "Hug Your Haters" by Jay Bear. So, this is a really great book about how to deal with customers who may be dissatisfied or. or grumpy or, you know, people that are trolls that are tweeting you, you know, things like that. It really gives you a solid process and logic for how to approach it, when to engage and when not to engage. So always recommend that if you're customer facing or, or, you know, client facing in any way, it's very, very helpful. Um, and 
Another book that I really love is Everybody Writes by Anne Handley. So this is a book that really coaches you through the, the written type of content. And that can be incredibly helpful. Even if you're not in a content marketing role, we're all creating internal memos or tech tickets or, you know, I mean, we're emails, like we're all creating these kinds of things. PowerPoint decks, like you need to be able to express yourself clearly through the written word. And so if you need a little, a little help there, if you need a little boost of confidence, uh, Everybody Writes by Anne Hanley is a fantastic resource to help you feel like uh, a little more confident in your writing abilities. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. We'll add those two to the show notes to check out. Um, lastly, Melanie, thank you so much for being here. Where, where can our audience you know, learn more about you and pick up a copy of your book as well if they like? Definitely. So the content field framework, how to generate unlimited story ideas is available on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble. Uh, there's an ebook and I just recorded the audio book. So that'll be coming out soon. Hopefully you'll, you'll be able to see that in audio soon. Um, if you want to learn more about me and my team and, and how we help organizations tell better stories, set up these processes internally, you can find out all about that at our website, storyfuel.co. So it's storyfuel.co. And there you'll learn about all the ways you can work with us, all the ways we can help you with your, your stories and your strategy for them. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melly. This was great. I really appreciate you jumping on today with me. Thanks for letting me share my story. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Take care. Oh, one more thing. SAS District listeners can get the companion workbook for Melanie's book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas for less than $10 by simply using the code SASDistrict in all caps when you order. The workbook includes 70 plus pages of specific prompts and activities to coach you through generating hundreds of content ideas for your SAS business. You can find the workbook at storyfuel.co slash store or check out the direct link in our show notes. Thanks again. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.